The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean believes the more time you spend outside together, the better. That's why they design products that make it easier to take longer walks, have deeper talks, and never worry about the weather. Discover clothing, outerwear, footwear, and gear made for every type of adventure with the outside built right in. Because on the inside, we are all outsiders. Be an outsider with L.L. Bean. July 31st of each year is set aside by the International Ranger Foundation as World Ranger Day to honor park rangers around the globe who are on the front line in the fight to protect our natural heritage. It's also an opportunity to pay tribute to rangers who have lost their lives in the line of duty. To honor this past Tuesday's World Ranger Day, on this episode of America's National Parks, we're going to highlight three stories of National Park Service Rangers who have gone above and beyond the call of duty. Fighting forest fires is one of the most dangerous occupations there are. With the wildfires currently raging across the country, we begin with the story of a wildland firefighter whose tragedy led to massive changes in wildfire fighting protocol. Here's Abigail Trebu. Andrew Palmer was six foot five and 240 pounds with a winning smile. He was hired to be a firefighter by Olympic National Park just four days after he graduated high school at age 18, 10 years ago this June. Twelve days later, he completed his basic training and was assigned to an engine crew. On July 22nd, less than a month after he had joined the National Park Service, Andy's eager four-person team was dispatched to assist in fighting the Eagle Fire that was raging in Northern California's Shasta Trinity National Forest. The team headed out at 9 p.m., and after four hours of driving, they stopped at a motel to catch some sleep. Six hours later, they were back on the road. On the way, the tailpipe of their new truck fell off. They reported the problem, but kept going. The check engine light came on, but still they carried on. They arrived at the fire's command post near Junction City, California at 6 p.m. The team's captain left to get the truck repaired for two days while Andy and the rest of the group were sent to the fire line to begin cutting trees, with specific instructions not to cut trees over 24 inches thick because they were not certified to do so. 
The captain was on his way back to the crew, having procured a loaner truck, and just as he was stopping for lunch, a heart-wrenching call came over his radio. Man down, man down. We need help. Medical emergency. Dozer pad. Broken leg. Bleeding. Drop point 72 in dozer line. Call 911. We need help. The team had cut a ponderosa pine 37 inches in diameter. Downslope from that tree was a 54-inch diameter sugar pine that had an uphill lean and a large fire scar on the uphill side. The ponderosa pine fell toward the sugar pine, and its impact caused a 120-foot span of the sugar pine to split off. When it hit the ground, another portion of the trunk, about eight feet long, broke off, crashing right into Andy. A request for a helicopter evacuation went out quickly, but the smoky conditions were too risky for an air rescue. A team of ground paramedics reached Andy 55 minutes later with a vacuum splint and a trauma bag, but they found that his injuries were much worse than were described in the original radio call for help. Along with the broken leg, he had a fractured shoulder and was bleeding heavily. Air evacuation was essential. A U.S. Coast Guard helicopter was called in but was told to stand down because a Forest Service helicopter was closer. But the Forest Service unit did not have a hoist and would need a clear landing zone, something the tree-packed mountain slope didn't offer. The Coast Guard unit was recalled, losing valuable time. Paramedics debated whether it was even wise to move Andy without further on-site treatment when they decided to clear a zone for the helicopter to hoist him out. The process took 20 minutes while the helicopter waited. Two hours and 47 minutes after being struck by a massive log, Andy was hoisted into the aircraft. He was pronounced dead 39 minutes later before he even reached a hospital. Andrew Palmer's death, which became known as the Dutch Creek Incident, was a wake-up call for the wildland firefighting community. Contingencies for medical emergencies were clearly lacking. An inquiry followed from the Interagency Serious Accident Investigation Team. The crew captain was the only member of the team who would agree to an interview. The investigators pointed to a host of problems that contributed to Andy's death including inadequate supervision with the captain away, failure of the second-in-command to exercise proper supervisory control by allowing the team to cut down trees above their level of certification, and an eagerness by the young crew to obtain a line assignment, among other factors. The Dutch Creek Protocols were issued by the National Wildlife Coordinating Group in Andy's honor, his story is part of the Six Minutes for Safety program used by thousands of firefighters around the world each day. 
every year on the anniversary of Andy's death, firefighters train in medical emergency response. The year after Andy died, 100,000 pink stickers were sent to firefighters to insert into their incident response pocket guide, outlining the communication protocol in the event of a medical emergency. Today, firefighters on the line ask three questions. What are we going to do if someone gets hurt? How will we get them out of here? And how long will it take to get them to a hospital? The capability of National Park Service helicopters to extract an injured firefighter by short haul is now an important consideration in any fire management plan. On July 25, 2018, two tones sounded over firefighter radios. Stand by for a net message, the voice said, followed by... Today, July 25th, marks the 10-year anniversary of the tragic events on the Eagle Fire. A fellow firefighter has left us, and we continue on as friends, co-workers, and comrades. We are bound by a common thread as we share in this great loss. Today, Let unity bring us together in a special way. Reflect on the moments in life when hope and appreciation serve as guides and change us for tomorrow. Now please join together to respectfully observe a moment of silence in honor of Andrew Palmer, wildland firefighter from the Olympic National Park. Thank you for joining us in this special moment. Resume normal communication. We now turn back the clock almost exactly 100 years. It was the summer of 1918, toward the end of World War I. Able-bodied men were fighting overseas, and women were tapped to work all sorts of jobs traditionally held by men at the time, including police officers and factory workers. In California, Yosemite National Park, which had just been transferred to the new National Park Service, needed rangers. Claire Marie Hodges first came to Yosemite when she was 14 years old on a four-day horseback ride. She fell in love with the valley and came back in 1916 to work at the nearby Yosemite Valley School. She learned the park by heart and dreamed of being a ranger. Towards the end of the Great War, Hodges learned the park service was short of workers and thought she may have a chance So she went to see Washington B. Lewis, superintendent of Yosemite National Park, to apply for a job. 
Probably you'll laugh at me, she said, but I want to be a ranger. Lewis, either ahead of his time or just desperate for workers, replied, I beat you to it, young lady. It's been on my mind for some time to put a woman on one of these patrols. He hired her as a seasonal ranger, and just like that, Hodges became the first woman to be a fully commissioned ranger in the National Park Service. Hodges spent the summer on mounted patrol, riding through the night to take entrance receipts to the park headquarters, along with patrolling both the valley and some of the more remote areas of the park. She had the same duties as her male counterparts, the one difference being she didn't carry a gun. It's not that she wasn't allowed to. In fact, the other rangers told her she should, in order to ward off animals and attackers, but she decided against it. She wore the uniform Stetson hat, but rode in a split skirt. Occasionally, the people she encountered were confused. They didn't understand why a woman had a ranger's badge. After the war ended, so did Hodge's temporary service as a ranger. She married and stayed in the Yosemite area, ranching and guiding church groups through the park. Though her time with the National Park Service was short, she helped open doors for women whose role in the parks had been limited. National Park Service Director William Penn Mott Jr. later praised Hodges for refusing to accept conventions and possessing the determination to take on a male-dominated profession. Women began to be more involved in the Park Service after the war, but most were regulated to jobs like secretarial work and waitressing, wearing pillbox hats and dresses modeled after flight attendants' uniforms until the 1970s. It would be 30 years after Hodges before another woman would be appointed a fully commissioned park ranger. Today, only about a third of National Park employees are women. On July 4th of this year, four National Park Service rangers from Ozark National Scenic Riverways were honored at the Department of the Interior Headquarters in Washington, D.C., with Valor Awards for their heroic efforts during a historic flood that impacted much of southern Missouri in April 2017. The Valor Award is the highest honor the department bestows, and it's presented to employees for demonstrating unusual courage involving a high degree of personal risk in the face of danger while attempting to save the life of another. Over a period of just two days, April 29th and 30th, 2017, the areas in and around Ozark National Scenic Riverways in southeastern Missouri received more than 15 inches of rainfall. Massive flooding set in on the park's Jack's Fork and Current Rivers. The Current River crested at 39 feet near the park headquarters in Van Buren, a full 10 feet higher than the previous recorded high water mark that was set 
in 1904. At 5.30 p.m. on April 29th, the Carter County Sheriff requested assistance from National Park Service rangers to perform swift water rescues of area residents, trapped in their homes with rising and fast-moving floodwaters quickly approaching or already upon them. Park rangers Joshua Gibbs, Lindell Gregory, Patrick Johnson, and Daniel Newberry jumped into action. The rangers were all specially trained in swift water rescue techniques and regularly performed one a week during the summer months. On this night, they would successfully conduct 30, exposing themselves to extremely high-risk conditions. They ferried from house to house checking for stranded residents, using Park Service boats as the floodwaters rapidly rose. They maneuvered under low-hanging power lines only a few feet above the rushing water and through fumes from leaking underwater propane tanks. Then they left the boats to wade in waist-deep waters among the live electricity and propane and raging river to retrieve people from their flooded homes, secure them on the rescue boats, and guide them to safety. The conditions were enough to scare even those who had grown up on the rivers, and the rangers could see it in the eyes of the residents. Three of the rangers graduated from nearby Van Buren High School. They were cut off from their own families during the flood. Lives were saved because these four rangers risked their own lives to help Missourians in need, Senator Claire McCaskill said. No one hopes for disasters like the historic floods we saw last year, but I'm grateful that we have such brave and selfless first responders in our community, and I proudly join all Missourians in commending them for their bravery. After reviewing rainfall data, the National Weather Service says parts of the area experienced a 1,000-year flood event. The heroic action of these four rangers saved the lives of 30 stranded men, women, and children as entire houses were swept away. The toll of devastation from the Carr Fire, one of the most brutal fires in California history, rose earlier this week to more than a thousand homes destroyed and almost 200 damaged. More than 4,000 firefighters are battling this blaze, not far from where Andrew Palmer lost his life. Two have died. Rangers work so many different types of jobs in the National Park Service, but they're all there to protect our country's history and treasured national preserves. The next time you encounter a National Park Service Ranger, make sure to thank them for their service. And from Abigail and I to any Rangers listening, our deepest gratitude goes out to you for your commitment to protect our lands and history.
This episode of America's National Parks was written by me, Jason Epperson, and narrated by Abigail Trabu. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our new America's National Parks Facebook group. We'll link to all of our social media, as well as National Park Service resources, music credits, and more in the show notes at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and I as we travel the country in our converted school bus with our three boys at ourwanderingfamily.com. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters This land was made for you and me Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.